Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome into the PHNX Coyotes podcast brought to you by the one and only DraftKings Sportsbook app, America's top rated sportsbook app. Don't forget to hit that like button and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a five star review. It's an exciting episode today because once again, we are talking prospects and talking about the future, which is what all Coyotes fans want to focus on right now. And we are bringing in a draft expert who in Canada is very well known and across hockey communities it's very well known Craig Button of TSN um yeah. joining us we well, you talk about what we need to be excited about here in the valleys in terms of hockey it's the draft it's the ping pong ball lottery it's the draft and we need to know some names to look for we need to know what the process is like so instead of listening to the three of us let's bring in an expert <laughs> Absolutely. So without further ado, let's send it over to our interview with Craig Button. All right. We are thrilled to welcome in former NHL executive and scout and current TSN director of scouting, Craig Button. Craig, welcome to the PHNX Coyotes podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, my pleasure to join you, you know, Leah and Craig, you know, uh, the work you're doing, the interest in the prospects and Hey, listen, the Coyotes are building for the future. And uh, what uh, what an opportunity they have with all the picks and everything. And, you know, certainly, uh, you know, where, where everything lines up in the future uh, seems to be in a, in a good place. Because when you have that many picks and you have a, and you have the quantity of picks and the quality of player to select from, you can put your team in a really good spot for a lot of years to come. Well, Craig, let's dive right into that then, because I think everybody by now, by now knows what the major deficiency in Arizona has been <laughs> the past two decades. Ever since Jeremy Roenick left town, this franchise has been looking for a number one center. We know a couple of the guys at the top of the draft this year. So in your opinion, are guys like Shane Wright and Logan Cooley, those franchise centers, those number one centers? I, I think they're number one centers. I don't think there's any question about it. Uh, I mean, their ability uh, to contribute in so many different ways at, at an elite level, you know, puts them in that category of number one. I, I have I've consistently compared uh, Shane Wright to Patrice Bergeron. Now, I mean, if you talk to people in Boston, and I mean, he's he's, gonna, he's a Hall of Famer, and, you know, and you, you might not really look at him in the true definition of a franchise center, but ask yourself where that franchise would be without Patrice Bergeron, <laughs> which which leads you to say, yeah, he does fit the description, right? It's different than a Connor McDavid, you know, it's different than a Sidney Crosby, but I don't think it's any less important. 
you know, Logan Cooley, uh, to me, reminds me so much of, of – of, he's like a combination of Nick Backstrom and Evgeny Kuznetsov wow. because he's slick and smooth like Evgeny Kuznetsov, yet he's so brilliant with his mind and ability to make plays like Nick Backstrom. And, you know, you're looking – I think both those players in Washington are number one centers, but they're lined up much like Crosby and Malkin. You know, you have these two, these two excellent centers – so, you know, when you're trying to build your team out, you know, it's never about one player. But when you have players that can take on the, uh, you know, the role and, and deliver in the manner of a number one center in all those key areas, to me, you know, Logan and Shane uh, provide that. And, you know, for a franchise to be successful, you need those players in those spots. Because it's not just about having players. It's about having good players in those key positions. And I think both of them uh, are able to provide that. Craig, my question, and if you've followed the Coyotes at all over the years, they unfortunately have not had the ping pong ball luck in the draft lottery. So we talked about Wright and Cooley. Unfortunately, the Coyotes may fall to three, four, five, depending on how the season ends. So beyond those top two names, are there still some centermen in that top group that, can still be everyday NHL players for the Coyotes. Like who's next up down the middle of the ice? Yeah. And, and, and you know, one of the things too, and you know, I, re, I recall back and you'll recall too, you know, the Colorado Avalanche were in a similar spot where they were the worst team and they had the best odds and they fell to four. And, you know, they ended up with, uh, they, they really got unlucky by getting Kale McCarr. Right. So, you know, and and the reason I lead into that is 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 because, you know, there's a real quality of player here. Now, after those first two centermen, I don't see another centerman in the next group of players. But because the Coyotes have so many picks, you know, they don't have to force a pick right there. They can just say, okay. You know what? We, we, we know what we want to. We know what we want to get in our lineup. We know what we uh, what what our goals are. But you know, not not forcing a player just based on position is just as important. And so you go to that next group of players, and 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 it may differ depending on where you look at and everything. But I don't see a centerman there that's in the that's in the class of. Cooley or uh, Wright, and I don't think they're better. I don't think there's a centerman available, you know, that's better than the players that are available, whether it be a winger, whether it be a defenseman that can fill the role. But, you know, you, you work down, you work down the draft and you look into different areas and you start to go, okay, we're going to have an opportunity to draft a centerman here, but we can't, we can't bypass a really good top-notch player in a different position just to get a center. And I think that, you know, there's a discipline that goes with that, despite there being an obvious need and an obvious desire to try to get that center. Obviously, the top two on your list are centers, but what would you say is the overall strength of this particular draft class? Which position? Yeah, you, you know, it's it's an interesting question because earlier on, Leah, I wasn't sure about, like, you know, the defensemen to me were like, you know, they were a work in progress. And, you know, I'd, Simon Nemitz was well known. You know, David Yerchek was well known. But, you know, you, you, as you watch more and more, and as, as I've watched more and more, and I'm watching Pavel Mitchukov in Saginaw, as, as, as I watch Owen Pickering in, in uh, uh, Swift Kern, as I watch Tristan Luneau in uh, 
uh, Gatno, as I watched Denton Matejchuk and Moose Jaw. You know, I think that those defensemen, and those are just four that to me have moved themselves into that top part of the draft. When I say top part, top half of the first round, top 15, 16 players. You know, it takes time to really kind of maybe appreciate what their qualities and their skills and attributes are. But I think that, you know, where it looked like it was going to be a, a forward heavy top part of the draft, I, I think there's six defensemen, maybe seven defensemen that have pushed themselves right into that conversation. And that's why when I say about, you know, despite there being an obvious desire to get a, a, a number one center into the, into the organization, there's some really good defensemen there. And, you know, again, it's not about one player. It's about a number of players and, you know, where, where, where the opportunities are going to rise at different parts of the draft uh, you know the Coyotes with that many picks are going to be able. They're going to be able to. They're going to be able to explore different players that might not be as obvious right now, but you know they believe can can, can develop into real key contributors for for the franchise. Greg, a lot of times when we get close to the draft, you'll see guys that maybe weren't talked about earlier. Suddenly, their stock is rising, whether that's real or perceived or just media created. Uh, do you see any maybe potential sleepers, guys who might be blossoming late that could get some attention when the draft rolls around? Craig, I would say that there's a lot of players, and for this reason, because a lot of players haven't played. You know, let me just go back to Shane Wright. In March of 2020, the world changed, and the the, the world for the hockey players changed. They didn't play. So here's this young player, you know, performing his first year in the OHL, like, like so many others. He he. He did not play another game until April of 2021. And then he played six games at the U18 in, in Texas. You know, he was brilliant. Canada won the gold medal and he was an instrumental part of it. And then he didn't play again until October. He played six games in 18 months, six games. So to me, so many of these players are just, you know, having the opportunity to not only, you know, show what they're capable of, but to be seen by NHL scouts. Scouts have been trying to catch up with players. Jagger Furcus is a player in Moose Jaw. I knew nothing about him. I, I didn't know a thing about him. I hadn't heard about him. He was five foot five, 125 pounds when he was drafted by the Moose Jaw Warriors in the Bantam draft. And, you know, early on in the year, I went because Denton Matejchuk was playing in Moose Jaw. And I'm going, oh, okay. You know, obviously, Denton's a good player. And I'm watching Jagger. And oh, th th this kid looks interesting. You know, I'll keep an eye on him. The calendar turns to 2022, and I go back and I watch. I go, wow! Like it's just like, I mean, it, it, it wasn't that you you know it was obvious before that it wasn't, and I think that that's the case with so many players in this draft. David Goyette up in Sudbury, I'd watched him play a little bit, but that but that ability to to continue to develop and challenge yourself. John Paddock, the head coach in uh, uh, Regina. Connor Bedard, who, who's so brilliant, you know, up for the 2023 draft. You know, you, you look, he said to me, he goes, these players played, they played in a bubble, they played limited games. There were so many experiences that helped their development that they didn't go through. I mean, I think Connor played about 22 or 24 games, and then he went to the under 18 tournament. It was brilliant, along with Shane Wright. But he said, all that, all those, all those, opportunities to challenge yourself, measure yourself, go back and say, okay, here's what I got to work on. He goes, they were missed. And I think for so many players, you know, that has been the case. What, what I would say about this year's draft to finish up, Craig, 
is you're gonna there's gonna be a lot of players that might fit into a list or you might say okay these are the players the teams are going uh uh-uh, we we got more information we're gonna project a little bit differently we, we see more in this player than maybe somebody else and conversely we we don't see as much in that player as many other players as many other people think so I think you could see a real disparity in once the draft unfolds. And, you know, one of the things that is one of my bugaboos and pet peeves is when people say, uh, uh, the, the media say, well, that was an off-the-board pick. Well, wait a sec. The only board that matters is the team picking, and they just picked the player. How can it be off the board? But, you know, to play along with that phrase, I think you could hear maybe some of those terms being used with a lot of players. Following up on that, then, you know, with I'm glad you mentioned the impact of COVID because I, I have wondered, I think there are going to be studies written about this. Yeah. And we're going to we're probably not going to understand its impact on these prospects for a long time. But when you're a GM and you've sat in that chair, how do you weigh this when deciding this is this is a factor that you haven't had in any past years? This is a variable that you're not prepared for. So how do you weigh that in to your decision making? Well, I, I think there's been some uh, opportunity with the postponement of the 2020 draft till October. Then last year with players not playing, where teams have been able to understand, okay, what, what more information can we gather? And what more information can we have to, to best instruct us uh, w- w- with a level of confidence to select these players? It, is it ideal, Craig? No. But, you know, it, like I think 2020 was really challenging. You know, because, you know, the, there was this time where you're looking into March, you're looking into April, there was no international tournaments, where, where a lot of evaluation goes on, where, where the best players are playing against one another, and you get a little, a, a higher degree of confidence. Then going into the 2021 draft, I mean, it's, I mean, you're, you're looking at players that you, you didn't even see play. And, you, you know, when you're, some did play, some didn't play, and you're trying I mean, a lot of the NHL scouting personnel told me after the draft last year, they said, we're still trying to learn about a lot of the players that, you know, didn't get drafted from last year's draft. And you're going to see players get drafted in this year's draft that went through last year's draft that speak to exactly what you said. You know, why didn't they get drafted last year? Well, they weren't seen. There wasn't enough of a body of work. But I think what teams have been able to do is, is, Take that understanding now and say, okay, we got to dig deeper. We got to dig wider. We got to find more information so that we can have greater confidence and apply it to what we've been seeing, right? And then you're trying, I mean, a huge part of, of, of drafting these players is projecting them, right? And so what have you learned? You know, what you have had the opportunity to do is, is say, okay, we've watched these players that we drafted last year, what have we learned in watching their development and how can that help us as we move into this year's selection process and help them develop? Because development is a big part of it, number one. And the fact that they haven't had, you know, some where they've been absent some of the key development uh, aspects, you know, a lot of players are going to play. There's going to be players that play that might surprise you. And there's going to be players that don't play that'll surprise you just as well trying to take all that information and apply it, it comes down to a confidence factor, I think, Craig. What information can you have to give you that greater confidence? But, uh, you know, I think that over the course of the last two drafts and two years, I think teams have really, really worked at developing those areas of information and intel that can help them, you know, really identify 
to a greater degree of confidence. Craig, Craig Morgan mentioned sleepers and you've been involved in this process for a very long time. And you look back when you first started, there were sleepers and there were guys that somebody might not have seen or might not have heard of. How has this changed with the advent of social media, YouTube, Twitter, and the the, the surprises are fewer and far between because everybody's seen them. Conversely, just because you've seen a kid have a couple of Twitter highlights doesn't mean he's a high projected draft pick or should be. So how has this shrunken world changed how you look at prospects? Yeah, well, you know, it's a, you're, you're right. I just talked about Jagger Furcus. I, I knew nothing about him. Okay, now in in in, in a different world, I, I would have he would have shown up probably at a U17 camp, played in a U16, and you would have had okay, okay, I've seen him play and everything. To to not have any feeling or any uh, understanding of where a player is or what he is, you know, it it it, it wasn't common. Now, you know, when you when when when, when you talk about you know, sleepers and, and, and players you're not sure of, right? You know, again, it goes back to trying to gather information. There is intel on these players. You just got to go further back. And when I say you got to dig deeper and dig wider, you know, that's where you that's where you have to get to. And so, you know, the you're aware of the players. It, it, it's not like you're not aware of them now, uh, you know, and, and, and because – you, you're moving forward and you, you have the benefit of saying, okay, here's what we know. Here's what we don't know. I think understanding what you don't know is just as important. Right. And, and then saying like the prospects game, I'll use the CHL prospects game as an example. So it's an opportunity for these 40 kids to go and compete best on best in front of every uh, 300 plus NHL personnel representing 32 NHL teams, you know, so you're going there and, and, I know, and we all know, there's players there that you go, boy, he's better than I thought. Oh, is that player as good as we thought? We better go back and watch them, right? So the opportunity now to go back and watch these players, right, becomes really, really significant in terms of the evaluation. And, you know, for, for the Arizona Coyotes who are like, they need to have, they need to spread a wide net because they have so many picks, but a team with one pick in the first round that's going to be a playoff team, and you look at where they're pick, like they, they shouldn't be watching anybody in the top ten. They should be zeroing in on those players there. You know, spending your time. As it relates to sleepers, you know, one of the things I've learned over the years is is, is that you know teams evaluate players differently. It doesn't mean that they're not evaluating the same players, but they're saying we think this player is better than that player. And that player is better than this player. So, you know, diamonds in the rough, sleepers or whatnot, teams still believe that they're getting them. They might not be unknowns, but they're still looked at as, as diamonds in the rough and, 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 and as sleepers. Seattle last year drafted a player in the second round, Riker Evans. He was a 19-year-old player, gone through two drafts in the, in the, in the NHL, playing in Regina. And – you know, like he, he developed and you watch and So people go, geez, Riker Evans, where did he come from? Well, you're watching and Seattle says, wait a second. We think this guy has some really good ability. He's in Regina now as an overage player. And he looks like a really, really good prospect. He skates well, good defenseman, thinks and everything, right? So, you know, that could be a player that like a lot of people, I can guarantee you, I know there was teams that didn't have him on their list because I hear this all 
how did they draft Riker Evans? And then you hear other teams go, geez, that's a pretty good pick, right? So, you know, the disparity in between how you evaluate and what you see is always going to be there. But, you know, you're right. Back in the 90s, you know, you could say, hey, listen, we drafted this player. You know, who is that player? I, I remember one year New Jersey drafted a player. And, you know, everybody kind of looked around and go, who, who is that guy? And it was like in the fourth round. It wasn't like in the in the ninth round. It was like in the fourth round. And, you know, and then he was going to Lakes. And, and then everybody starts with, what did we miss? What did we miss? Right. And uh, if I could remember the player's name, that would mean that he went on to have an NHL career. <laughs> but, but New Jersey, New Jersey saw something in him that very few others did. So I, I think that this is something that's ongoing, but, but it's different in terms of, you, you know, Riker Evans, but now you're questioning why they would draft him, And other teams are going, geez, that's a good pick. And, you know, my own assessment watching him this year is he's got a chance to be a, an NHL player. How hard is it to project the path of these kids are 17 and 18 when they're drafted? Um, and, you know, before we got on air, we were talking about kids at 14 who were foreseen as, you know, possible NHL players who never made it. So what is your, what are your thoughts on that? And are you a proponent of raising the draft age? Well, uh, you know, I, I guess you, you would think that as players get older and more mature, that uh, you would have a better chance to identify uh, the skills and attributes that translate better to the NHL. Now, I know we've had an underage draft, but if you go back and look, when I say underage, we've had an 18-year-old draft. There, there was time when we had 19- and 20-year-old drafts. The, there's no evidence that you had you, you were better in it, right? Like, you know, because he, he, here's the biggest thing, Leah, and, and, and I think that has to be, there's no, I shouldn't say no business. In the vast majority of businesses, if you want to be a lawyer, you go to law school, right? Then you go and work for a law firm and they get to test you out. They give you a file and they say, hey, try this. And then they say, hey, listen, we think this person has some really good uh, attributes and potential, but but they've been able to test you out, right? They make you an offer. You go right the bar and away you go, right? Well, you go and drive, you're going and evaluating 17 and 18 year old kids, okay? And you never get to test them against the competition they're playing against. In any sport, football, baseball, basketball, you just don't get that opportunity. And now you're taking these players, and remember, you're drafting players that have been the best at the levels below the the, you know, the NHL. You're not drafting a four-goal scorer and go, geez, I think he can score 40. You're drafting 60 goal scores thinking that they can score 40, <laughs> right? So, you know, but you never get to test them against the competition that ultimately you're projecting them to be able to have success against. And as long and, and, and until and, and that's not going to change because you can't take a young player and test them against NHL competition. So that's a real, real significant challenge in projecting. Then you look at it 18, 19, 20. There's so much development ahead for the vast majority of these young players. Right. And you're really trying to pick a point in time and go on 21. You know what? OK, where can this player be at 21? There's so many factors. Development. Where does the player work? We drafted a player fifth overall when I was in Dallas. Rick Jackman was his name. Right shot defenseman could do everything in the game. We thought we were so lucky. We'd had a bad year and everything. And Rick played 340 games in the NHL or so. And But, but he didn't come close to realizing what we thought his potential was. Well, the thing with Rick, and it's straightforward, it's, it's Rick knows it. We told Rick he, he, he didn't work at it. 
he 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 kind of started to rest on his laurels. Like you, you can spend all the time you want and you try to go back and go, okay, what did we miss? Or, you know, did we misevaluate it? But there's a lot of factors that come into a player's, you know, uh, I, I, I guess development stream that can that can impact, uh, you know, the, the ultimate end game. We knew he had good potential. We thought he was going to be a real top-notch defenseman. He didn't become that. And is that his fault? No. We can say why we thought it happened. Is it our fault for maybe not dialing in and spending more time with him? Development becomes a big part of it. But, you know, the NFL, and all you got to do is look at the NFL, who are drafting players at 21 and 22, you know, if this idea about having an older draft worked, there wouldn't be any failures in the NFL draft. And there's multiple failures in the top five, in the top 10, in the top 20, and there always will be. Because you never get to evaluate them against the competition they're playing against. They are the best at the levels below. So I'm not a proponent of changing the draft age. I think that you got to be back to the earlier question when we were talking about, you know, what you got to do with the players. You've got to have, if you're a good scout, if you've got a good scouting system, you better have a good development system. Because one without the other isn't going to work. You can have a great development system. If your scouting is not good, it doesn't matter. And vice versa. Those two have to work hand in hand and like all the way through the process and understanding it and working with the players. Patience is a part of it too. And I think that that becomes really important for the development of players, regardless of whether you're drafting them at 17, 18, 19. In the case of Riker Evans, Seattle's working with them hard. And He's 20 and he's going to have a chance, but you know, it took him a little bit longer to, 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 to probably show what his potential was. All right, Craig, let's flip over to the coyotes. I know a lot of people want answers to some of these questions (laughs) now. They just traded one of their second round picks, obviously, um, but it was the lowest of their picks right now. They're scheduled to have seven picks and they're likely to come in the first 45 picks of the draft. First of all, how much of a challenge is that? You've, you've, you've been in that seat. How much of a challenge is that for the, the scouting staff, the GM, to execute that sort of thing? And then what can the Coyotes accomplish with that many picks in the top 45? Well, well I mean, that many picks in the top 45. You know what the word I use, Craig? Opportunity. It's opportunity, right? And so when, when, you, when you have one pick in the first round and one pick in the second round, what ends up, what you end up, having to do is is you're trying to filter through a lot of information so so you're looking at a group of players so let's just say i'm just going to pick 11 you're picking 11 and you're going okay who's the group of players we we, we like right like who do we like and but you gotta you gotta put a stake in the ground and pick one there might be three you really like there might be four you really like right and you're and everybody's list is different and and i'll, I'll make a point about that in a second but you know, so now you got to go, okay, and, and the debates become a little bit stronger, heat, a little bit, perhaps a little bit more heated, and ultimately you got to make a decision. We're taking this one. When you have that many picks, you can you can go, okay, we're going to take this guy here, and then we're going to have this group of players there, and this player might be in there, and you go, okay, we'll take that player there. I, I, I Not that it becomes any more collaborative, but I think there's an understanding that you don't have to be as 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 firm and you know saying no 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 this is the guy no 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 this is the guy and trying to work through that I think it becomes a little less so in that regard and the reason and this is what my point was going to be if teams back to the first question about sleepers about diamonds in the rough 
every draft says, I can't believe we got that player there. We had him rated much higher. <laughs> like that's a that's a mindset into into the thinking of, of, of where teams are. Every every team is like that. So you, you might be picking 11 and then you might pick 19, right? You might be looking at a very similar group of players. There might be a couple of other players that come into that, a couple of other players that fall out of it based on your own ranking system, right? And you set that player rated higher and you're thinking, oh, we got him at 19. Teams trade up because they're going, well, we have him rated so high, we need to get this guy, right? And, you know, it all comes down to how you rated the players. So back to the to, to what you're saying with that many picks, great opportunity, great all those players. You remember you're signing in the contracts. All the players in a particular draft are not going to play for you. So trading some players to help you in different areas in the Jack McBain case, you know that's a player ready to play. You give up a second round pick for him, but you know you you now get a more all encompassing uh, evaluation from a scouting perspective and say hey, here's our group of players. So you can go in and say, okay, in the top 45, okay, what does our list look like? It's not going to be 45 players. Maybe it's, let's just use 30. You're going, listen, we got a chance to get seven of our top 30 players on our list. (laughs) That's a pretty, pretty good place to be if you're the Arizona Coyotes. Yeah, and it's funny, Craig, you mentioned this. I've been to a few drafts, and I've yet to see a team in the 31 teams and now 32 teams go, oh, we did a bad job. Everybody that next day, every team, we got our guy. We did great. Wait and see. And I know you've seen it too. So we, we mentioned, you mentioned Jack McBain. Let's mention another player. And I, I don't know if you've seen him this year, but it's a guy that we've followed here closely is Dylan Gunther and his ability to mature in, in juniors and how he has done this year. One, if you had an opportunity to see him and your thoughts on Dylan Gunther, and is he a guy that you've been a GM. Is it a guy, would you rather see play another year junior or do you want to try to bring him in? Like what's your philosophy on baking a player? Well, I, I mean, I, I'm a believer that, you know, every player has a different development path. And just because Dylan was a first round draft pick doesn't mean that his development path is the same as every other player. You know, there's, there's going to be players that are ready to play a little bit sooner than others. And, you know, trying to evaluate what that development path is it, 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 you got to look at it on a player by player basis, not on a where they were drafted or what their pedigree is. I, I've seen Dylan play lots. Okay, I've seen Dylan play lots since he was 15 years of age. You know, Dylan just keeps going on that upward trajectory, right? He, he, he I mean, obviously he's a focal point when any team plays against him. He, Dylan is so smart and he's so well rounded. He doesn't rely on one area of his game to have success. You know, he, he, he plays at even strength. He plays on the power play. He plays on the penalty kill. He can shoot the puck. He can make plays. He can play in the heavy demanding areas. He can play down low and grind it out on the cycle. He can play on the rush. You know, he's an elite player. He's an elite player. I don't think there's any, in my mind, there's no question he's going to be a number one winger in the National Hockey League and a really good offensive player. And because he's so smart, he's going to be able to play with a lot of different players. Now, here's what I would say about Dylan and having watched him play. I think he's a player that at times, well, I shouldn't say at times, but what I've seen over the course of his career in junior is he dips a toe. And then he says, okay, I can get the the water up to my uh, calf. And then he's ready to go into his knee. And then he gets it up to his waist. And, you you, you know, there's almost like this, okay, I just need to feel it out a little bit. and, And then once I do, he goes. So I think that, you know, this year was the best thing for him to go back to junior and play. What I would say is 
Let's see what he does next year coming into the training camp. Let's see how he holds his own. Let's see, you know, is he ready to meet the demand? Because the other thing you want, you want to develop him in, 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 along the path of what he's going to be. Like, don't put him into a third-line role and ask him to be an energy-checking player. You know, you got to be able to say, can he play in our top two lines? Do we have protection around him to be able to insulate him a little bit as he as he goes through some of these growing pains? And then go from there. I don't think the decision has to be made now. And, and you know, we're talking about another six months with Dylan. A lot can happen in six months with respect to physical maturity, confidence, and, and going from there. Their team in Edmonton is a, is a top-notch team in junior. They're going to have an opportunity to play deep, and they're going to have an opportunity to perhaps play for a national championship uh, in the Canadian Hockey League. So all those things can benefit him. But ultimately, I think getting uh, to, to training camp next year with the Arizona Coyotes will be a real determinant. But knowing the background on Dylan, I think last year helped him come into camp. He has a better understanding this year. He might be ready to seize it because he is a very gifted and talented player. Craig, what is your overall evaluation of the Coyotes' current prospects and young players? Well, I, I, I think that with, with Bill, I think one of the things that Bill has been able to do is really exercise, uh, you, you know, some patience and, you know, putting players in, 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 in spots where they can, you know, grow and develop in, 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 in a proper way, right? Like, you know, you look, like Barrett Hayden never should have been anywhere near the NHL when, when, when he was uh, underage. Should have been back in Sault Ste. Marie dominating, being a captain and everything. I think you're starting to see what Barrett is capable of. You know, you look at Jan Yannick. You know, he had a serious knee injury. I can say this. He was a he was a dominant junior player in Hamilton. And now he scores his first two NHL goals. You know, he's always been a good player. But it goes back to what I said about, you know, every every path for a player, each path for a player is different. And you got to recognize where it's at. They dropped Victor Soderstrom 11th overall. You know, like he might not be ready to play for another year or 18 months. You know, you look at Michelli. Michelli was a top player last year in the Finnish Elite League. He was a top player this year in the American Hockey League. He's earned his way into the uh, into the NHL with the Coyotes. So, you know, I'm just naming some of the, the younger players they have. We talked about Dylan Gunther. They have a good – I believe they have a good prospect pool. And they're going to be able to add to that prospect pool. You know, you start to look ahead in time to where they're trying to align everything with the with a new arena and, and with players that are ready to help the team on, on the ice be a real competitive NHL team. I, I think they're in a good place. I, and but but it's not just about having good prospects, it's about helping them grow, helping them develop, surrounding them the right way, and then getting them to a place in time where, you know, you're sitting here and saying, okay, we're, we're ready to take those next steps. And I, I, Craig, you know this, you, you, you follow the uh, Coyotes for a long time. It seemed like they were always kind of in this push-pull. Oh, we got, we got to get these young players in. You know, the arena was always a question. It seems now under the new ownership that they're aligned. You know, where the arena will be – I don't see, I, I don't have any problem with where they're going to play next year. I really don't because it, it it's a short gap. It's a short term scenario that to me, because they have the long-term vision and the long-term vision is three years that aligns with where they're going to be at organizationally with respect to on ice. 
I think it's aligned very nicely. And I think that, you, you know, from my perspective, from the outside looking in, that alignment always hasn't been there. It's always been this push-pull tug of war between, oh, we got to do this, we got to do that, oh, no, we got to do this. And to me, I see alignment. And I think that's why Commissioner Bettman has been so on board with what they're doing because he sees a real strong plan there. You got to execute the plan. You want to see the plan be successful, but I, I, I see a plan that can be fruitful, not only for the Arizona counties on the ice, but for the Arizona counties in the community and in the city. Craig, a last quick one from me. First of all, we thank you for doing all of this work because then Craig, Leah, and I don't have to watch any of these people play. I don't know. How in the heck is there enough time in the day for you to see all of these kids? Are you doing a lot of this on video? Are you traveling around North America? Like, How do you get to see and get your eyes on all of these players? So earlier, you know, when, when I was asked back in 2010 by TSN if I would be interested in doing the scouting portion of this, I said, yeah, but I said, there's a way to do it right. And there's a way that I'm not interested in. And, you know, the way to do it right is to be in the arenas, is to be out there scouting. So they fully said, we're, we're in with you. So, you know, I like, you know, obviously, let's just take away the last year and a bit. You know, I haven't been able to be in the arenas as much as well. But in the course of time, I, I usually see about 100 games live. What I've been able to do, and I, I watch video. I think video is very, very good. It's given everybody another tool. The last year, I think you, you had to use video a lot because you, you couldn't travel. You couldn't be in the arenas. And what, what it's done for me is been able to sit down and, and say, okay, this is where video really can, can, can help me. This is where live can really help me. And I, I find it more as a, a, as a real marriage between the two. And I think NHL teams have found that exactly too. But you, you got to go out and, you, you know, I was watching a game, just to go back, I was watching a game on, on video. I was watching Denton Matejok and Mooshjar, Furkus, right? And, you know, you're watching and you're evaluating. And then it was about a week later I went and saw a game live. And there was things that Denton was doing that you can never see on video, right? So it, what, what it does is, is it gives you an understanding of what video provides, what live provides, because there's things live provides that video doesn't and vice versa. So, you know, taking the time, you know, one of the things video does too, you don't have to travel and you can fast forward the game. <laughs> so, you know, you, like the, you, you say the time, but you, you're also able to use your time a little bit more effectively. But, you know, that's the way, you know, I did, like, obviously I scouted for a long time, but to me, that's how you do it. And, and the other thing I would say is, is that I'm not trying to learn players, like this whole group of players all at once. You know, I have a, I have a basis for growing it. I talk about the last year not knowing some of the players because you, you couldn't see them. But you start to build it up and you start to, you know, you know, just keep building on that on that base and that database of players. And, you know, it, it's now been over a period of time when I say, I mean, Dylan Gunther was the first pick in the Western Hockey League draft. You're aware of him. You get to watch him a little bit as a, as a bantam. Then you see him come in. So here it is. And, you know, I keep saying that the players are getting older and I'm not aging. So I feel pretty good about it. <laughs> Greg, you going to be at the draft? Yes, I will be at the draft. I definitely uh, will be at the draft. Leah and I will try and come and find you. I think Petey's going to be uh, hosting uh, a party because Petey likes to drink beer, so he's going to stay back in Arizona. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that, Craig. 
<laughs> well, I can only tell you this. I like drinking beer with people that enjoy drinking beer. So <laughs> it sounds like there's something there. And, and hey, listen, uh, Craig, we've talked over the years and certainly, uh, you know, the work you've done and, you, you know, your passion for hockey and, and for the Coyotes and Leah, you know, and Pete, you know, th- th- this is something I love doing and I love uh, being able to participate. Thanks for uh, asking me to be part of it. And that's an always. The yes is always. Whenever I can, I'll always do what I can to try to participate and look forward to not only talking to you in the in the near future, but seeing you at the drafts in Montreal. Craig, thanks so much for doing this. Great insights, great information. Really appreciate you joining us. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you again so much to Craig Button for joining us. So much insight. He's so knowledgeable, and I don't know how he stays on top of 32 NHL teams and their prospect pools and just tons of players coming up through the minor systems. It's unbelievable. It is amazing. And and that's we I said it in the interview. Like I got well, there's no way the three of us can sit there and watch video. Plus, what would we look for? So thank goodness for him. But but when the interview was over and we said see you later, Craig, we meant Craig Button, not Craig Morgan, but Craig hung up too because apparently <laughs> Craig Morgan has to go watch practice and work. Yeah, so it's BS, but now it's just the two of us. But yeah, two Craigs on the pod. It was a lot of a lot of Craigs. A lot of confusion, (laughs) a lot of Craigs. Um, but it was great information. It it it's an exciting time for a Coyote fan. When you break it down like seven picks and potentially the top 40, top he said if you have a list of 30 and you get seven of those 30, good grief. Okay. I mean, that's one out of every three and a half picks. That's amazing. So there is optimism. Finally, so yes, as the draft gets closer, he offered to 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 give us more insight and give us more um, thoughts on prospects. That he has, so we're definitely going to take him up on that. Um, this is what this season has been about. I'm looking forward to continuing the process and seeing where this franchise is by the end of the draft. It's exciting. I especially liked when he compared Shane Wright to Patrice Bergeron. That was a highlight for me. <laughs> You know, and 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 that's how you win. Can you imagine if you get Patrice Bergeron in, in one draft, and then the following year you get Connor McDavid, <laughs> nighty night? There you go. You talked about not having center depth, and you can do it two years in a row. I know, I know, I'm getting a little ahead of myself. I know, but, but it's so fun to think about. Yeah, and so you, you that's why it's important to have the pieces around him. And you talked about Dylan Gunther, so you get you get a Patrice Bergeron player that can play 200 foot distribute the puck, maybe not as flashy, but then you get Dylan Gunther on his wing and you go, oh, now we've got, you know, Pasternak and 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 Bergeron. So, and I don't know, it just gives you hope in whether it pans out to be like this. And I know we have to wait a very long time, but it just gives hope to Coyote fans that that there's just maybe. I mean, and then that's all you can ask for. There's a chance. There's yep. hope. Absolutely. So thanks again to Craig for that great interview. And hopefully one day the Coyotes will be competing for a championship and that is exactly what is happening in college basketball right now and if you want to get in on the action of betting download the DraftKings Sportsbook app today sign up using that promo code PHNX and new customers can bet just five dollars on any team to win and get two hundred dollars in free bets if they do it's that simple if they win you win DraftKings Sportsbook customers who um, already have the app can bet on college hoops with same game parlays so be sure to get those in now ahead of the final four this weekend it's a perfect time to sign up for the drafting sportsbook app with march madness and the nhl and nba and there's like everything is going on i think 
MLB opening weekend is a week away. So all the sports will be active and it's such a great time. Um, so good time to download the DraftKings Sportsbook app. Use that promo code PHNX, bet $5 on any college hoops team to win and get $200 in free bets if they do. That's 21 and over. Arizona only. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Wow, it's a mouthful. I guess it's basketball and hockey this weekend. Then I guess so. We have to. We have another game. We have yes, another game. we have. There's a game on Friday nights. Oh boy, work, yep. work, work. Well, yep. I, I we can stop thinking about the draft. Then now I'm going to start dreaming about ping pong balls and where they're all going <laughs> to fall. Because if they get if they get some draft luck and they deserve some draft luck, yes, finally. Um, we can tease. Can we tease like a really pre pre draft tease? Sure. Like I, we won't give any details, but there sure. is going to be a multi-arm platform on PHNX for the draft. The yeah. rumor has it we're sending some people to Montreal. Perhaps we are. Perhaps we are. Uh, <laughs> well, all of that and more coming to you at gophnx.com, on the PHNX Sports YouTube channel, on at PHNX underscore Coyotes on Twitter, Five days a week of Coyotes coverage, even during the offseason. And then we'll have plenty to talk about because, like we've said again and again, it's all about the future and people like Craig Button and, you know, we've had so many draft experts. And, yeah, Chris Peters, we're going to continue to have draft experts on. We're going to look toward the future. And as we get closer to the draft, you know, we'll make it so that everybody knows the names of the players that the Coyotes could potentially be looking at. It's all about the future. That's it for us today. We'll be back tomorrow after the Anaheim Ducks-Coyotes game on the PHNX Sports YouTube channel. Be sure to subscribe there. And also, wherever you're listening to this podcast, please like, subscribe, and leave us a review and a comment. It's super helpful to us. And, of course, follow us on Twitter at PHNX underscore Coyotes. Until tomorrow, have a great rest of your Thursday, everyone, and we'll see you later.